What does it really mean to be brave? And what can we learn from other people's acts of bravery? Welcome to Tiny Acts of Bravery with me, Clover Stroud. I'm a writer, journalist and mother of five. And in this podcast, I'll be sharing revealing conversations with a host of phenomenal guests about what bravery really means to them and what we can learn from their acts of bravery. I believe that right now, more than ever, in this wildly uncertain world, we need to talk about the tiny acts of bravery that make up our human lives. When I was 16, my mum had a terrible accident which left her chronically brain damaged, unable to talk or walk or look after herself in any way. Since then, I've been fascinated by this topic as mum's accident sent me out looking for brave people as I really needed them around me to show me the way. My guest today is Helena Bonham Carter. Helena and I have shared the strange experience of a parent being altered by a major brain injury when we were both teenagers. I first met Helena in 2020 through her friendship with my sister Nell. Nell was a highly creative and very brave woman who founded her own circus, which she ran until her sudden death from breast cancer in 2019. Helena became a friend after Nell died. I really love being with her for the way she carries the memory of Nell close to her in a very tangible way. I went to meet Helena at her home in London. We sat in her summer house, decorated with little tributes to my sister surrounding us, like her red and white striped lampshades with a circus theme and a pink and white gypsy caravan in the garden. It was so lovely to talk to Helena in this relaxed, warm and funny way, talking about how facing adversity might be the greatest creative act of all and how she feels bravery is a skill we can all practice for a bolder life. We also discussed how, as human beings, we are perhaps at our most magnificent when we are most afraid, since it is then that we're most human, and how the key to a courageous existence is, quite simply, to keep on practicing it. I'm so delighted to bring this beautiful conversation to you, so I'd like to thank Helena for her generosity and bravery in being so open with me. It's really beautiful for me to be here in your garden and it is the first recording for my podcast, Tiny Acts of Bravery. This room actually reminds me of, it's like a little sort of summer house that reminds me of the kind of dens that me and Nell used to make when we were little. It makes me feel I'm a really glad it is a playhouse. Mm. And it was, I wanted to have a place that I could play away from the house. Mm. But it was definitely, look, there's a bit of circus, Nell. Yes, red and white striped yeah. little lamp. I'm very conscious of, you know, when somebody goes and with now that friendship meant you don't want to lose the relationship somehow and you've got to keep the relationship because they've changed positions mm. or drastically mm. absented themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can still import bits of the relationship. So keeping those things going and those the interior landscape that, you know, often would, hap- would get alive when I was winter. Mm. And that's mm. to do with circus and play and importing play into our lives. You can build things. You know, the thing with buildings is they don't tend to die. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like trees, they last longer than us. Buildings last longer than us. So I thought like, yeah, put it into a space that you can have chats. And Mm. we had really good chats. Mm. Um, We should be lying down. But actually, at this point, if I lie down, then I just fall asleep. So (laughs) (laughs) first of all, like, I would be really interested to know what does bravery mean to you? Um, I don't know. It's so funny when you use the word brave because that's sort of like when you're, it's like the childlike version of 
courage in a mm. way, you know. Mm. You've got to be brave. You've got to be brave, yeah. And brave, you have to be brave probably in the face of terror mm. or fear mm. or when you're something incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. So it's usually you're required to be brave when something's utterly new, although often that happens in the face of loss. Mm. Mm. Of course, now I'm feeling like, yeah, everything's a doddle. You go through phases of life when you're, you're, you're comfortable mm. and you've gone through something. And then you go like, I can't remember. But then suddenly life, you know, can suddenly crash through and something happens and then. But I've, I had, I'm, I'm not finishing sentences, but the thing with Nell and me was the core of what brought us together was that we recognised a really similar response in both that we had, which was really quite barking to a very similar experience that we both had with our parents. So when... As far as I understood it, correct me if I'm wrong. In a way, when your mum fell off the horse and had a horrendous brain accident, accident to the brain, mm. she kind of ran away in broad strokes to the circus. I mean, in a way, do you think that came out of that? Yes, absolutely. When when I was 16 and Nell was 18, mum had this accident that left her profoundly brain damaged and she completely used the circus and her creativity as a as a refuge and a, an outlet. But it had been there as well since she was a child. And I, I'm interested because you went through, and it is quite unusual, it's an unusual experience that we all went through. Yeah. <laughs> because you were 13. So I was 13 when Dad had an operation and from like one minute to the next or one day to the next, he was perfectly able-bodied and then the operation went wrong on an acoustic neuroma and he was really brain damaged. Mm when he was 50 in 1979. Mm. And then my response was while he was in intensive care, that's when I got an agent. Mm. I went and looked one up in the yellow pages and picked mm. <laughs> up an agent. And it was the same thing of, of a refuge and creating a world or being part of a world like acting that I could control. Mm. It was a very determined, thought out, deliberate response to like, I'm not going to be defeated by this. I felt very, very certain that I could have a different, I couldn't change what had happened, but I could change my attitude to mm. it. And I'm sure, as you, as with Nell, it was already there that wished to act or pretend to be somebody mm. else. But I don't think I would have gone to such lengths necessarily at 13, getting an agent, had that hadn't happened. I'm really interested, by the way, having to deal with something like that as an adolescent and an ongoing trauma at yeah. the stage of your life when you're just forming yourself. Yeah. So... I think there's something particularly pertinent about it happening in adolescence because you are form it, forming yourself. You're changing. You're constructing your yourself. Yeah, you are as constructing. But at the same time, looking back on it, I think I was very, I was doing it for my parents. So just at the time when you're meant to break away, mm. looking back on it, and I found out way later when I finally moved out because I was with my parents until I was 30. Mm. But in fact, I was becoming an actor and acting to try and make it all better. Right. So, in fact, I wasn't adolescing, and I don't think I ever adolesced. We didn't have space to, because Dad was so chronically yeah. ill. You adolesced. You were quite wild, but I didn't. I never was wild. Yeah. But I remember, and it's always happened to me, when something really horrendous has happened, I go like, what can we make of this? What can we do with this? What can we... It'll be okay if I can be creative with it. Like, either make it into something. You've got to make it into something. You've got something. to make it into something. Yeah. Mm. And then, then it's the way of... 
then it becomes then you're sort of alchemizing if that's mm. a verb I don't think it is or converting it into something that will I think relieve the loneliness in a way because I think ultimately we're brave real bravery is when you're alone yes and then in the act of creating not only are you making something which is the biggest high of all yes but you're actually reaching out you're and connecting, connecting other people and yeah. saying you know, whenever the luck of having so many people on this earth is that if something happens to you there's no way that somebody else hasn't suffered it mm. Mm. so you've got to find the tribe and find the experts and the way other people have survived it and they'll pull you through and likewise if you go through something you once you've survived you've got to help other people pull through and that time when you find yourself in that landscape when normal life has changed or and something terrible might have happened like a trauma or a divorce or even the arrival of a child as no, well, you know, motherhood. Death, both the yeah. new, the arrival and the thing changes your landscape. But how do you get up and yeah. keep on reconstruct? Because because there are times when we have to reconstruct our lives as well yeah. our po- after these big You can reconstruct yourself. Mm. I think I've got, I was really lucky because I landed with my mum, mm. who is a therapist, and she herself found life hard. And I think her her best way of helping people was that she was always really easy to admit that it ain't easy mm. and so she's given me lots of tools like um try and do nothing <laughs> <laughs> go to bed <laughs> have time for convalescence mm. and take that seriously take it seriously because you you watched her navigating her way out of a big breakdown when you were a child when I was five yeah she had five. her own breakdown and then she had my father's break physical breakdown and then on top of that she's had other people breaking down mm. around her and she she's a therapist so she puts people back together but I think it's the permission to stop to take you know you take short views mm. that's Sydney Smith you know Sydney Smith's 26 rules for living who's back in the 18th century but they still apply he was giving advice to somebody who's obviously suffering from depression mm. going like just do 10 minutes no no thought beyond tea because I know your mother is a huge part of your life I'm interested about the things that she has taught you about how to be brave like yeah. I actually taught you and just watch observing her. I need to get some coffee. Okay. <laughs> I need snack time. Can we pause there a second? Just checking. We'll revert to what you've just been saying. But when mom, one of her big things, I think mom says on the day she can't bear, she does something for somebody else. Does something for somebody else. Yeah. I was brought up on the thing is like, you can't, there are days when you can't do anything for yourself, but you can always do something mm. for somebody else. Mm. And that usually changes. It's not altruistic because it just inevitably mm. changes your... Well, again, you connect with the outside. Mm. I think the worst thing about when you really... is the loneliness. So you've got to get out of that, the internal world when you're cut off from somebody. Don't you think? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they're different needs. Yeah. Courage. I mean, certainly, like, in grief, the loneliness is, is so acute. And yeah. I think the thing that makes grief... You sort of suddenly understand about grief that when somebody has died, you feel as though your pain is absolutely singular and yeah, unlike yeah. anybody else's pain. Yeah. And then understanding that the pain that you're going through is something that everyone, you know, we're all surviving in some way or another. And that and that the pain of losing the people we love, it happens to all of us. Yeah, and that it's a very that, normal pain. It's a normal pain. I think, you know, we're coming into a different age, but people don't really talk about loss. 
Because there's just always this thing of like, oh, we've got to cheer people up. And actually, a lot of the time, people just have to feel it. To you've feel got, to feel, you've got it. To feel it. Yeah. You've got to put words to it. That's why your book is mm. so profoundly helpful to people because not everyone can put words to things. And you put words to so many things that people felt alone feeling. Mm. And they go like, oh my God, she feels it too. Mm. Mm. But do you think there's something when we say that we need to feel the pain? Because we obviously, you naturally sort of brace yourself against the pain. Yeah. And I have a very strong image of kind of bowing down before pain and, yeah. and allowing it to to sort of overcome you and drench itself through you. Yeah. And then when it when it drenches itself through you, it does go through you and it comes it's out of you. you and it changes you and changes the shape of you. Yeah. But that then informs your bravery as well because you know that you can survive you something through. horrendous. Yeah. 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 And you will survive and time will make it better. Mm. So unfortunately, you can't press forward and make the time go quicker. <laughs> but you will feel better. But, but it is an odd one. You like... Can't I just avoid it and put a stiff upper lip and deny it? And and not put, have to get, you know, not have to feel it. Not have to feel it and or and just be because a lot of people have associated bravery with stiff upper lip, which mm. actually it isn't. No, I don't think it is at all. I think I think that's really really interesting because I think it's actually the opposite of that. It's feeling it and then and then still doing functioning. It. Yeah, yeah, and not avoiding it. That, I was brought up with that, even though. My my dad was very English, mm. but my mum, being not English, mm. was brought up with feel everything. Mm. And how did she enable you to feel it? Well, sometimes I didn't feel it. To be honest, I didn't feel much when dad was that ill. Mm. You know, I kept on thinking I should cry, mm. you know, but I didn't. Mm. And I, I think at other times I felt a huge sense of loss, but it was delayed. And I think that's the thing is a lot of the time we don't feel things automatically. And that's okay too. Do you think, though, when you're dealing with a long-term trauma, mm. like a long-term illness of somebody you love, then trauma and loss becomes the status quo, really? It becomes the state that you're living within. And in order for life not to completely destroy you, in order to be yeah. able to cope with that, you have to turn to face it. And that's what makes you brave, because otherwise it could completely kind of... Not become, make you function. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the time you get on with it, but it's maybe often you, you'll have a proper feel, sense of feeling or the wave will come mm. or the proper expression or experience of it emotionally will come after. Mm. Mm. Sometimes it's like, why has it come now? It happened years ago. But because it's safe to. Mm. It wasn't really useful for us all to sob when Dad was paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a useful reaction, you know. You just sort of get on with it. And everyone said... What a brave man. You go like, and a lot of people go like, well, we didn't have an option. But he, he was really brave. Did he talk to you about what he was experiencing? He did, but I think um, a lot of the time, one bounces in my head was that mum was the expressive one. Mm. And I remember sometimes mum going like, oh, I express everything you didn't. You had to grow a tumour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was really angry. She was like, if only you British people could express your feelings and you wouldn't grow tumours and become ill and somatise your illness, you know. <laughs> you go like, oh, poor dad. I'll always be sucking him. Oh, it's not his fault, mum. <laughs> you know, he is what he is. Do you encourage your children, though, to... Cause feel. I really, yeah, to feel and to kind of... Not emote for the safe, sake of safe emoting, of but to sort of manifest their pain as, as much as their joy. Well, I encourage them to, which I think really was a gift that they, the parents gave me, was um, to acknowledge that it ain't easy, mm. you know. Mm. Being alive can be tricky. And some, for some people it's really tricky and, and some people 
I don't think it really is that easy. Mm. Do you think you get braver as you get older as well or move well, it away gets from... easier. I think it gets easier. I think the amount of anxiety that I had when I was Nell's age, my daughter's mm. age, was huge. And mm. I can recognise that she has a lot of what I was like then. Mm. Yeah, so do you think, though, it gets easier because you know what you can survive? I look at the things that I've survived and I look at the future and I know that there is an ocean of of sadness at some point that I'm going to have to swim yeah. across and yeah, swim through. Yeah. That's inevitable because we're Same human beings. Yeah. And, and yet you know that you can survive and not just, not just survive but thrive. You know, you can yeah. actually grow from it and that life can be absolutely extraordinarily beautiful and dazzling and dark and terrifying. After mum's accident, mum, we'd had 22 years of mum being with brain damage and then Nell got cancer. That seemed inconceivable that that could happen. You know, that yeah. sort of layers of loss. And yet one of the most terrible things I can imagine happening has happened, Nell died. died. Yeah. And even saying Nell died or, and talking, you know, sometimes I still feel, oh, what? What, what, what are those words? Yeah. Those words shouldn't go together. Yet they no. do go together and they are an actual fact or reality you live with all the time. So that does make me feel more courageous about the future because life continues. It continues. And reveals itself to be quite lovely as well. That's yeah. what I find amazing. I enjoy the experience of turning something terrible into words that I love, yeah. into beautiful words. But you must have the same experience with when you're performing. Yeah. Like how much of the how much of the the creative bravery as well of taking the experiences that you've been through um and then channeling that into roles. And when you do that, do you have to actually feel? Because I know that when I'm writing about pain or joy, or you know, it can be nice. You can be writing about sex, and you can be yeah, almost you, feeling that is. again. Yeah, you've got to go. But when you it feel again. when you you're writing about pain, when you're acting, are you feeling it again sometimes. in the same raw way? Yeah, sometimes, and not necessarily consciously. It's weird though, because there's sometimes when I look back on things, I go, "Oh, that was necessarily wise to do that mm. to myself." So why do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> because I think on some level it's just new experience. It's exhilarating. It's exhilarating and it's living. And it's creative. It's going like you're packing it in. It's like I feel like I borrow other people's lives. Mm. I have got a very low boredom threshold. Mm. So I feel like, come on, let's just do something else. Mm. Let's go and visit another century or a scenario. And it is, I feel, I steal other people's lives. Mm. But then, of course, it is safe because it is written you know, you know what's going to happen because you've read it. It's different. But there is a bravery in going to perform. You know, I do think, like, it happens every time before a job. You go, like, why am I doing this? Uh, before every read-through, you go, like, why are we doing this? And every actor thinks the same. Because what does, and what does that feel like? It's so stupid. You feel like, why did I say yes to it? This is horrendous. Because you feel scared. Because, You're terrified. Because you feel scared by yeah, it. Yeah, because you don't know if you can do it. And you don't know if fear will get the better. Mm. You know, fear is contagious. Mm. And you can get really, um, it can create itself, as with anxiety. I mean, I borrow people mm. to get courageous. Mm. You know, I, I'll go like, I don't act just for, I don't just professionally, I do it, you know, for myself, selfishly. If I have to do something, I'll go like, oh, I'll do it, I'll pretend I'm so-and-so, mm. you know. Well, do you see Maya Angelou once, that quote, that, you know... Um, she talks about when she's scared, she asks dead people to come and help her before going on stage. Right. You know. 
Yes. Like, oh, you know, you've got nothing else to do. Just it's come just... and help me. Yeah. People that she knows, not just any random dead person. But... <laughs> <laughs> and um... No, and I know that you, you really live a life where you believe and inhabit that we are carriers of other people. And yeah, I, can, I really And I've talked that. to you about that before. And I know I can see that in, the, in your relationship with my sister Nell. Which, which people do you carry who teach you to, to be brave? And also, do you think we carry the entire being of that person? Or they just or come in little bits or we just they take They come in and bits. then when they're not useful, you just go like, okay, okay. that's enough, go by, <laughs> you know. And that's what, you know, I have the pleasure of when I, if I get apart. Mm. A lot of the time, it's just because, you know, it not, might not be the best career decision or anything. It's just because I want them to hang around me mm. and I want the feeling of being in their shoes. And it, you're never lonely when you're, you know, gestating a, a part, mm. a person. Mm. And uh, some really make you live better with more fun. And because you can take their characteristics, yeah, their voice, you their see dress. everything, and it's fun. It's like, you know, I think Nell and me also, your sister and me, we had loved dressing up. Mm. And I do think dressing up is an extension. You can dress up with characteristics. You can dress up with accents. You can dress up with, you know, as you talked about talisman for courage. And I often talk about when I'm constructing a character, a touchstone, which is, again, the sort of thing like the same as a talisman. Mm that I'll go like, what's the touchstone for this character? What's the thing that will make me go straight into that? Mm. And with that, a whole sense of clobber. You can just touch one bit, mm. m- emotionally or mentally, mm. or, you know, sometimes it's the shoes. And then it just kicks everything into gear. And you're right. just like, you come, you animate it. You know, right. it's an anima. It's like a spirit. You go like, oh, you're in... I mean, some people go like, oh, my God, you're flipping barking. But it's so <laughs> fun because we're freed of so much constriction I think that's the ultimate the real high is that you're freed of yourself yes you know we're we're lucky to be alive but at the same time it's so painful being Mm. you know saddled with ourselves Mm. I think Mm. and all the clobber and the rocks you know the baggage that we carry and our bodies you know and then then the body starts breaking down you go like oh god so a lot of the time we're always trying to be free I die yeah because that's the ultimate freedom yeah but with acting, I feel so free when it's going well. When it's not going well, forget it. But And I suppose that's, that's the absolute polar opposite of when you're younger and you are so aware of yourself oh, and you're so aware of around. every single neurosis yeah. and your dislike of your body and your hair and your legs and everything. I was talking with Pete about this and just saying I just hated my body when I was younger. And it, now it just seems absurd, that idea that you should have, like, I just have a normal well, body. <laughs> Not, you know, your body. Your, and, and I you take it for granted. It's like, yeah, take it for granted, yeah. And I look at my pictures and I go, what was I talking about? Because my propaganda to myself was so completely wrong. And I can see with my daughter. Mm. And of course, she just thinks I'm being... So hi! You... Oh, nice to see you. The dogs just come in. Hi! Well, I see having gone through a big trauma as an adolescent, I understand it to have given me a view into the world, you know, a view yeah. through a small, a small difficult hole to look through. And you can then you start seeing the world and start feeling the world. And you feel because you're feeling so much pain as an adolescent. I really think that it taught me about in order to survive it, in order to, for it not to completely just destroy me at the time. And so I suppose that's like a reframing of something which could be seen as a terrible trauma which weighs your life down and makes things impossible actually yeah. is a creative force and an enabling force. 
I know what you mean. And when you get through it, you go, oh, it throws into relief the wonder. After Nell died, I actually remember looking at Nigella Lawson and thinking how on earth, her life looks kind of like she's having fun. She's yeah. She's and she's had so much loss. So you much know, loss. Her sister and her mother and her husband. husband. What's she doing? And I'm going to try and. And what did she say? Did she? I didn't. I've never spoken to her about it. But I just then it was partly why I wanted to write the write a book was to to observe it and yeah. to to record it and yeah. and what you sort of do in order to survive great pain. And I suppose what you do is you just keep on doing, don't you? You keep on, keep on going. How do you, you keep on going? But you also, as you you ask the experts, I don't know. I mean, I've got my mum's loss. You know, that's the biggest one that I'm facing, and I'm um, trying to do it with as much prep <laughs> that you can prep. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the idea of whether you can prepare for it, like. And I think that talking about death, having, I think having a lot of... And you and your mom have talked about death a lot, haven't you? Yeah. And I do think that is really the best. That's, that's one thing. and I think that's the best. Yeah. And all of the conversations about where you think you go, if you think you go anywhere, or whether you feel as though you'll be able to manifest your mom, you know, later on. I wish I'd said... I wish Nell and I had had conversations about... More conversations about what happens... What do you think happens after death? And what if I die... Think? What do I think? I think that you go into a place of ecstatic white light <laughs> yeah. where you sort of feel, oh, yes, that's, oh, yeah, that, that's what it was. That's what I think. And that, uh, I'm not sure about the white light, but I know we're all going to be like, oh, of course, of course this is it. it. Of course this is it's it. It's like we're too yeah. small to comprehend it. And then it's like at the back of our mind, you're like, oh, duh, yeah, yeah. I know, we've been here before. But we're too small to, yeah, to see it and feel it. What does Peter Pan say? The big adventure. An awfully big adventure to die. I think about death, and I think as many conversations as you can have about it, and actually to actually have the conversations because we often say, "Oh, we don't talk about death enough," so we're going to yeah. talk about death, but then we don't actually talk about yeah. death. We talk about the idea of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was with my dad the other day, and I was driving him to the station. And yeah. We just got to the station. I said, "Rick, I really need to talk to you about death now." <laughs> was he up for it or not really? Well, he was going to miss the train, so he had yeah, to yeah. Go. <laughs> it's a good choice. <laughs> It's a good moment. Let's talk about it when we can't. <laughs> but I've raised the question. I like talking about it with my children because it's quite funny as well. They're different takes on what might happen and how their takes change as well. Yeah. And I like talking about it so much that it kind of, they're bored of talking about it really, I feel well, like. Well, the key to also loneliness is that you can't be scared or anything and laugh at the same time. That's mm. the thing. Mm. So at the same time, yeah, sometimes I go like, are we really making a big deal out of, you know, we've all got to do it. So whatever. Part of me goes, like, oh, whatever. Because I'm getting so bored of it. It's like, oh, whatever. I mean, I've been obsessed with my mum's death for, you know, years. But she must have taught you so much bravery. And the feeling of taking her forward is, is sort of the only answer, really, as well. What's taking it? her forward? Well, in the same way that you take Nell forward with yeah, you. Yeah, I've got to have her on the inside. You know, I definitely will wear her on the inside. And she is inside me. Well inside. <laughs> so I think I'll be armoured because I've been so profoundly loved by her. And I couldn't be more better set up to survive her death as a daughter. I really couldn't be. Mm. I don't think. I don't think we've left much on... <laughs> well, that's an incredible yeah. privilege as it well. It is. It is a real to... privilege. Do you think bravery and courage 
is something that we can also practice and get better at so that it is almost a resource that we have. We can be like knights. We can be like knights. I love the knight. <laughs> get our horse and our armour. Yeah, we can because it's a muscle and you go like, okay, we get on. It's another fight. Come on. And also it's not perpetual. You know, you just got to have this dark time. Yeah. And you will come through. Mm. Yeah, there is something heroic when the going gets tough. And I think when you're very depressed or you're grief struck, you feel like you're less than. But mm. actually, no, you're being magnificent. Mm, you're being, Because yes. you're facing the real, the real darkness. Mm. I think it's a really beautiful idea that as well, that you are being magnificent. And because at that moment you feel so broken, broken. grotesque, I found that in grief I'd sometimes felt so weird. You know, I felt so deeply weird. Well, you're not yourself. I think you Mm. asked about my talisman. I've got Mm. this tile and I was wondering what I could because I don't really have a time. Shall I show you my talisman? I'd really love to see it. Yes, please. But there was one thing that helped, which is really simple. I've got it in there which was an Alice quote. And a friend of mine said, God, that is so right. She was going through a horrendous divorce. And um, when I went through my divorce without, you know, breaking too many boundaries, but I did feel a real sense of, I didn't know who I was. Mm. And I had to reconstruct myself. And mm. I did feel like I am under reconstruction. Mm. So there's, it's a time when I should really be wearing like, in fact, now your nail gave me a T-shirt saying fragile. Mm. And I felt so intensely fragile. But I was, my mom had always said, like, it's okay to be fragile. Mm. This is the time when you're going to be um, reconstructing mm. yourself. So it's actually, you just got to allow it mm. to not be great, not fully functioning, mm. be broken, mm. but, and allow people to help. Mm. And that is a natural mark because, as you say, you will grow from it. Mm. And having gone through it and then reconstructed Hell of a, I'm totally different mm. on my inside. Mm. But you have to go through that period of convalescence. Convalescence, yes. And on the tile it says, but it's basically Alice in Wonderland saying, I can't explain myself because I'm not myself. Mm. And there's that time when you're, when think great change is happening, mm. sea change, either grief or divorce or, or as you said, like with a new baby. Mm. You're so profoundly changed and your internal landscape's so changed because something outside has happened. You've got to allow for the fact that you don't know who you're, mm. your, your identity is up for grabs. Mm. Mm. It's still forming. But in our busy life, we don't allow for convalescence. We don't allow for being, you, you allow for, well, if you get cancer, having mm. chemotherapy, you allow for like having a broken, you know, limb or something mm. six weeks out. You don't physic. you don't allow for, oh my God, my spirit's broken. Mm. I'll get back to you in about... I don't know how long it can take years. But it's interesting you say that, though, because that also suggests that it is a creative... Because it's been broken, it then has yeah. to recreate. And so there is, a, like, actual an act a of... A recreate. Yeah, and there an actual is. act of creativity. Oh, definitely. Within the I think anybody who's suffered trauma. loss, mm. you know, and it usually comes with age, are way more interesting mm. and compassionate. And they've got another whole dimension to their soul, haven't they? You can talk about anything with them. When I see people who've gone through life and I don't feel as though they've had a major challenge, and there are a few people, it feels yeah. as though they're sitting on a ledge. You know, they're sitting yeah, somewhere yeah. really, really precarious. And precarious. And I yeah. don't envy that play. I don't think, oh, I wish I'd had a life of ease. And and obviously not everyone's lives are more complex than, you know, we immediately see on the outside. But there are people who, there might be a divorce in the family or something like that. Yeah. You know, there isn't like... 
very early death and brain injuries and, and yeah. diseases. Something and, massive and, that and, stops. And terrible things that have happened. And But I don't feel like I want to be... I want the life that I have, which is full of full of trauma and loss and breakages. And I, I do often see myself as, you know, when I've been through a big, big thing of like a, a soldier with a... A warrior. With, yeah, with all armour. Yeah, yeah. No, all I love you really, and your knight. Really, really battered. Yeah. Really, really... Um, You've got the scars. Yeah, and, that, and your shield is completely dented in your... In, and, but you're kind of stumbling yeah. forward and you're getting up and you're going again. And that makes me feel brave, knowing that I can sort put of... Put your armour on. Be, yeah. And you've had all these b- battles. When Dad died, and it was an extraordinary death and really peaceful, but it was like when he was lying as a corpse, I thought, oh, my God, it's like a warrior who's come to mm. the end. He fought such a long 25 mm. years of disability and not being able to see and not being able to move. And mm. even his death was, was peaceful, but it was quite laborious. Like, his breathing was so which I'm sure happens with most deaths, but just so measured. And mm. it was like getting up to the top of a mountain and then just... Mm. And I felt like you're a warrior. Mm. Well, I felt like Mel was like a warrior. Mel, Mel was like died. an Amazonian. Yeah, she was a warrior. When's the moment in life do you feel... Or where? when is a moment in life where you feel like you have been required to be most brave? Most brave. I think when I had a massive depression. Mm. And I just couldn't, I mm. found life unbearable. Mm. Mm. So literally getting from moment to mm. the moment, I just couldn't do it. Mm. And what would, what would your advice be to someone in that situation? It's the same advice that my mother gave me, my friends gave me, say, you will get better. Mm. And you just have no idea. <gasps> I was not in my body mm. in a way. I mm. was really, um, I had evacuated my body because it was too painful. Mm. And also I... I was too exhausted. I'd managed to exhaust myself. Mm. So my body wasn't functioning very well. I mean, I, was, I just had no energy, couldn't sleep, couldn't manufacture any concentration. It was a proper deconstruction. Mm. So that was brave, just carrying on. But now I look on it. But I berated myself because I felt I was nothing. You felt you were the opposite. Yeah. I was the opposite. Yeah. But the fact that I carried on with the help of a huge amount of... Well, not a huge amount, a close-knit group mm. of very well-chosen and amazing mm. friends and love mm. and a mother who mm. was extraordinary. And she'd been through it, so she knew what the landscape was like. Mm. I've never been that bereft. And I think also people don't talk about grief and the terror of grief, and I was really scared. Mm. Of where it would take you? No, I was in a perpetual state of fear. Of- it's such an incredibly poignant, and as you describe that, I can visualise you and I can also remember my own experiences of postnatal depression and feeling a separation from the rest of the world, the world. as well. So you're you are separate. totally separate. You are totally on your own and people can't understand mm. it. But now I've been through it, I can help other people. Mm. And boy, does it make life and the world more wondrous and mm. tasty if you know what it's like to be down a well where you cannot feel anything. It was a pleasure-free zone. I couldn't taste anything. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate on anything. I couldn't even watch the television. Mm. So my brain couldn't knit one moment again Mm. to the other. Because I think I was processing a huge amount, Mm. huge amounts that I had steadfastly not really looked at Mm. because I felt I had to carry on Mm. as a mom, as a human, as a... I just carried on, and I carried on 
without any regard to... I don't know. I don't know how I would have stopped it. Maybe I was just meant to crash, which I did. And then recreate. And then I put myself back mm. together. But it was time. Mm. It's you time know, It was a well, big, huge chunk mm. of time. Mm. I mean, people who knew me then did... You know, people said, like, well, I did get out of it as quick as I could. I'm not someone who languishes. <laughs> <laughs> and also I've got a thing of... I get bored, but... It wasn't like I had any will. Mm. That's the other thing to stress people. If, if anybody who's impatient with mental health, you could, like, for me, when it happened and I had, I was incredibly ill. It was nothing that I could help. Mm. It wasn't like pulling your socks up. So, do you feel through that there's a transformation of yourself which has brought you to where you are now? Totally, which a is total transformation. But to, based on, I think I find my foundations. And my scaffolding, my internal yeah. scaffolding, really strong. And my understanding of life and my perspective on other people mm. and my perspective on being alive mm. is totally changed for the better. Mm. But as you say, you don't want to wish it on anybody. Present pain is horrible. But mm. once you get in the past, if you get it into the past mm. tense, then it's a gift. Mm. It is a gift, but only once it's in the past tense. <laughs> you can't say it to someone who's writhing. Yeah. You can, sort of, but it doesn't really go down that well. <laughs> <laughs> but you can only do, to help other people, as other people did with me, just be present. Mm. Just hold them. Yeah. There's nothing you can say. Yeah. And don't try and, say, make it better. I think reflecting somebody who's in pain and trying to describe their pain can mm. relieve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that presence is really, really important, and that is a demanding place to be as a as a friend, isn't it, or a relative for someone who is going through that. Yeah, yeah. But but just being there. Do you feel braver and braver? Well, I remember Sonny, I think Richard Draver said, "I'm so much braver," and the, and the person said, "Like, no, you're not braver. It's just because you had more." Less practice, I think, or something. Oh, less practice, yeah. So you've had a yeah. lot of practice. So I, I'm doing things now without anxiety, whereas at a time of my life I wouldn't ever mm. have thought of because I said, oh, that's mm. terrifying. But that's just because I've had a hell of a lot of life. And as you say, once mm. you survive mm. really horrendous times, mm. you're like, oh, whatever. It's mm. the sense of perspective. Mm. The big picture always helps. I like that idea that you just, uh, it's just because you had less practice and you've just got to keep practicing it and experience it. So, this is this talisman. I really love the idea of talismans. And I really love, I have a whole box at home full of like beads and horse hairs. And I have this little like head of Christ that Nell and I bought in a junk market in Sirencester. But this, mm. this was um, given to Nell by mum when Nell was 16. And I was like, like, we were always really fascinated by it. <laughs> but that's my talisman that I bought to show you, this brass hair, which has got funny little and markings on it. you rub it when you need courage? Or... Well, I just, have, I just have it. You, you just know, have I just it. have it on a window ledge. It's nice to it. look at. You know, there's something to hold. So solid. Well, that anchors you. Yeah. And just even feeling it mm. anchors one. Mm. And I think sometimes when you go physically, you know, mm. things happen to your body when you're scared. Mm. You know, that's what I, you have to watch. And I, in fact, as being an actor, you do, you're trained to deal with fear because mm. it's obviously a natural thing that mm. happens when you perform. So anything that anchors you and mm. keeps you in the here and now 
and the physicality mm. helps. So this is a great thing. It's got immediate weight. Immediately think it makes me think of the hair with amber eyes, mm. but it doesn't have amber eyes. But that thing to hold on to, I wrote about, about that a bit. I remember Nell saying that soldiers came back from the First World War and held stones in their pockets because it's something literally Anchors like there. a little pebble. Yeah, a bit of the earth. Mm. And it's almost like like holding a you know whatever you your religious belief a rosary yeah. the, the 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 thing of a, a string of beads I think is incredibly reassuring. Perhaps it's something to sort of fiddle with. There's something about the noise that beads make as well. It makes you mindful, I guess, isn't it? Mm. And because ultimately, mm. as long as we're alive, we are physical beings. Mm. So connecting what's you know our thought with mm. the physical mm. is kind of what we're always trying to do. That's why I mm. think dance is so helpful. Mm. It's really lovely talking to you about this, though, because you are Nell's friend, and I'm really aware of you being Nell's friend first, and it's there's something really but beautiful. You're not cut price. <laughs> we had this joke, right? because Nell used to buy really expensive clothes. All her clothes were, were, were very expensive. Real big labels. And Nell, and, and also Nell was about a foot taller than me, and, and bigger, and beautiful and she's she sort of so golden it's so funny but that when i became friends with you i said i'm like a cup price <laughs> are you sure i'm not a cup price now I'm like, <laughs> no you're not a cup price you're worth you're as a glittery and diamondy as much as she is was is still is. because i really do feel you do carry people inside mm. Thank you, Helena, for a really beautiful conversation. I think there's something brave in itself about being open to having a really honest conversation like this. I love the way Helena explained how she felt that the very point of being brave is to share the experience about what she had learned during adversity with other people. And thank you for listening. If you follow me on Instagram, you already know how much I love communicating with other people about the way life feels. I'd really love to know what you thought of the episode, so please do drop a comment below. I'm Clover Stroud, and I really look forward to sharing more brave conversations with some of the amazing guests I have lined up. To keep up with the episode drops, please follow Tiny Acts of Bravery on your podcast platform. And of course, I would be so grateful if you'd rate and review my podcast. <laughs>